1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you're turning there, I want to try to put a question to you. What is a Christian? I think that's a fairly important question to answer. What is a Christian? It's an important question to be able to answer on Easter Sunday morning. And quite frankly, in our rural conservative area, it's a very important question to be able to answer. Is, is a Christian someone who votes family values and gets chills whenever you hear Lee Greenwood, God bless the USA? Is, is that you know, what, a, what a Christian is? Is a Christian just someone who believes that God exists? I remember as a young man hearing the words of John 3.16 thinking that, that a Christian is just someone who can get their, their self mentally to believe that God is real. And that's kind of all it, all it takes, just believing that God is real. Is it someone who grew up around vacation Bible school, prayed the Lord's Prayer before a ball game? Is a Christian someone whose parents kind of twisted their arm into getting baptized because they're old enough and it's, it's about time? Is, is that what a, what a Christian is? Last week, uh, we passed out a book, and I kind of flew through it, honestly, because I just couldn't put it down. Um, we have a couple copies left, if anyone would like one today. But the guy who wrote the book, his name is Dean, and he was telling about the day that he left from seminary to go pastor a church in Florida, at the Panhandle. And one of his buddies, named Matt, was leaving to go to California, one of the most secular parts of our country. We've got some folks here in our, in our church who've joined our church from California. We love you. There's a lot of people moving from California to other places. So friends, as people move from California to here, let's be nice to them, okay? I mean, they're not trying to change our state, okay? I mean, keep an eye on them, but, but be nice to them, right? And Dean, the author of this book, tells about this kind of this awakening that he had when he was going to the Florida Panhandle and his buddy Matt was going to California. He says, I felt like I was taking the easy road and Matt was taking the courageous one, leading his family to an area where preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ would be just barely harder than finding a Republican. I was heading to the land, I was heading to the land of the monogrammed. I wanted to say something spiritual to make myself feel better. So with the standard one-arm man hug, I said, I really admire you for what you're doing, and I'll pray for you as you head to an area with such an important Great Commission need. Matt's reply was not what I was expecting. Whatever, he said, doing the required pat on the back during our man hug. He said, the Bible Belt is the most difficult place in America to pastor a local church. I was stunned. He must have sensed my confusion because he explained further. And I believe that the Lord knew just what I needed to hear in that moment. He said, in California, there is rarely confusion. Either you're a Christian or you're not. 
But in the Bible Belt, many people think they're Christians, but have no concept of the severity of sin, the need for repentance, the message of grace, or the overall message of the gospel. They think they're just fine with God, and God is just fine with them because they aren't atheists, and they've been to church before. They believe in God, but do not believe that their sin has done anything to separate them from Him. And friends, that page struck me. It apparently struck other people because I had people sending me pictures of that page with stuff underlined like, man, this is really good. And it caused me to, to think on this Easter Sunday, what is a Christian? I think we can answer this question through the resurrection story. Easter tells us what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has had their life changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who the resurrection of Christ has absolutely reoriented their life. Because here's the deal. The Bible says in, in a very familiar little passage of Scripture that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Now when I was a kid, when I say kid, I was 16, 17, and I worked at a general store near where we grew up. And I remember being unsatisfied with my wages. You know, wages are what you get from what you've earned. You know. I remember I was a key holder. I worked at this general store, and the owners, it was kind of a two, two locations, mom and pop. These owners, they, they came to trust me. They gave me a key. All through the summer, I ran the place by myself. I, at the end of the day, I took care of the cash register or whatever, took cash from the one location to the other and, and made sure everything was in order. I was the only employee basically through the summer, and, and I remember after the first year getting up the courage to say, you know, I think I deserve a raise. I was making $7.25 an hour. So that was not too bad for a high school kid, I guess, back then, but I said, I, I think I want a raise. And so I talked to Bob, who owned the place, and I said, Bob, I think I, I deserve a raise, and I've got a lot of responsibility now. And he said, okay, let me talk to my wife and we'll get back to you. So that whole week I was waiting to figure out what did they think my wages should be. And they came back after that week and said, well, Greg, we agree. We're going to give you a bump. I said, okay, this is cool. I'm 17 years old getting my first raise. So we're going to take you up to 750. <laughs> said, awesome. That's great. They said that the wages of my work was, was worth seven fifty an hour. God says that the wages, that what we deserve for the life that we've lived is death. But Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he defeated the power that death had over our sin. He defeated the power of sin. In other words, sin and death no longer have to be our master because of what Christ has done on the cross and by rising out of the tomb. That's why we gather here today. I want to read uh, to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning of verse 13, and it says, it says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Now, I know that's almost a little tongue twister there, but then you get to verse 17 and look at this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It just means worthless. And you are still in your sins. That means that Christ's perfect life, his suffering, the beatings that he took, the abandonment of the Father, the death on the cross, do nothing for us unless Christ walked out of the tomb to prove that he was who he said he was. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And it goes on in verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Here's, here's the first point we're going to look at today. Jesus defeated death by becoming the second Adam. Jesus defeated death by becoming the second Adam. Here's what this means. Every one of us has a spiritual daddy, a spiritual father, right? And it's either Adam or Christ. Adam, our first spiritual daddy, he was put in the garden. He and Eve were put there and they were told to be fruitful and multiply. And they were only given one rule, don't eat from this one tree, but they failed. Adam, our first daddy, our first spiritual father, failed miserably. And the problem is, because we are his children, we are his descendants, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. He was a sinner, and just like he was, we are also sinners. We follow in his nature. We, we have received, kind of like his DNA, we've received his, I don't know, his disease almost in the bloodline. We want bad things, we think bad things, and we do bad things. So sin came into the world by one man, and that's bad news. But life came into the world through one man, Christ, and that, friends, is gospel. That is good news. It says the same thing in Romans chapter 5. Follow along on the screen if you'd like. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned. In other words, it was king from Adam to Moses. And it just passed down from, from father to son. 
and from mother to daughter, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type, that means he was a shadow of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man Jesus abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now that's a lot of reading. Let's see if we can explain what that means. What that means is that because we inherit, because we are born with a sin nature, we are under our first spiritual daddy, Adam, and the wages of that sin is death. The wages that we are owed is death. But the solution that God gave us in love was to give us a second spiritual daddy, to send a second Adam. The first Adam was put in the garden and was told to obey, and he failed. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, was put on God's world and told to obey, and he obeyed perfectly. Everywhere our first daddy failed, Jesus succeeded. There had to be a perfect life lived on our behalf, and Jesus, the second Adam, did that for us says here in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's in verse 26. Isn't that a beautiful sight? Death has lost its sting because Jesus has conquered it. The wages of sin were death, but Jesus, the one who didn't sin, conquered death. In the resurrection, what Jesus shows is that sin and death don't have to have the last word for anyone who is in Christ. Friends, I want to to preach to you today as a dying man to dying men and women. Do you see how serious our problem is? The problem that we have of sin. It's not that we don't deserve good things from God. It's that because we have rebelled against Him and desired to live our own way, we deserve bad things from God. But He, in His love for us, desires to give us good things in Christ. He provided a way out Sin brings death and sin brings hell. But God brings life and gives heaven. And because of all of this, because God has given us the second Adam, the Christ, because he has earned new life for us, we can, we can be invited into his family. You see, in, in the Bible, there are three meals three meals in the Bible. 
And the first is the Passover. Maybe you remember this from the book of Exodus. Death is coming. The angel of death is coming through, through the town. And God has said, anyone who, who eats the Passover meal and takes the sacrifice and puts the blood over your door, you will be spared. And the angel of death will pass over and no one will be killed. In the same way, we who, who deserve death have been given freedom through Christ that whoever is under the blood of Jesus can be spared. That's the first meal, the Passover. The second meal is the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Because Jesus, in his final days in Jerusalem, he took the Passover with his disciples. And the church since then has been doing the Lord's Supper. We're actually going to observe that next week. So the first meal was the Passover. The second meal was the Lord's Supper, which we use to remember that first meal. And there's a third meal that's coming. And that third meal is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And that's one, that's the meal that's going to take place in heaven. And the only people who will be there are those who have laid aside their lives and turned away from their sin and have embraced the perfect life of Jesus on their behalf. God gave us a first meal as a picture. He gave us a second meal as a picture. And there's a third meal that's coming. And what God is wanting to do is to invite everyone who will come to him in to his table so that they can be at that third meal. This is the upshot of all this is, is that the resurrection means that God, through Jesus, has made good on his promise. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. But if Christ's perfect life and his death on the cross was like a bomb that was put here to go off and destroy our sin, the resurrection was the detonator that caused it to do its work that proved that God was who he said his son is. Here's the thing. Everything that I have just said might just sound like ideas that are suspended off the ground a couple of feet. They never really touch down. I want to show you a picture of someone who had the resurrection touch down in their life. And his name is the Apostle Paul. You remember his story. He was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the, of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he did all the rules. If anyone could have earned their way into heaven, it would have been Paul. But Paul, in the book of Philippians, basically rolls out his resume and says, look at all the good stuff that I did and then he balls his resume up and throws it away in the trash because no one's good works can ever be perfect. No one's good works can ever get us into heaven, make us at peace with God. And this is what Paul says about his change of life. And so the second point is this, and the last point, really. Jesus defeats sin and death by doing a work in real life people. 
These aren't just ideas that are suspended off the ground that never really touch down. Jesus, God's intention is to cause the resurrection of Jesus to touch down in our lives and to produce life change. It says this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. It says this. This is, by the way, the gospel in two verses, verses 3 and 4, but we'll continue reading. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, Paul saying, go ask them. Though some have fallen asleep, Verse 7, then he appeared to James and then to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. Do you see how Paul views himself? Paul is saying, I am not a Christian because I've done enough good works. If that would make me right with God, I would have already been in Christ. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Remember in the book of Acts when they stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr? The Bible says that Paul basically held their coats while they killed him. Paul persecuted the church of God. This, of course, means that he gave them a hard time, but perhaps and very likely he also killed Christians before he came to Christ. And this is who God redeems? Verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. You see, friends, Paul's story shows us what real conversion to Christ looks like. And this is where we get back to our, our question we asked at the beginning. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone that not only believes the facts about Jesus, a Christian is someone for whom those facts and those truths have touched down in their hearts and have changed their lives. I remember thinking, I remember believing that a Christian was just someone who mentally agreed with the facts of the Bible. I, I thought that, that God was someone like, kind of like Santa Claus. He just wants to be believed in, right? If you just believe in him, it gives him power and makes him feel good. A Christian is someone who the facts of the gospel have touched down in their hearts in such a way as they have produced life change. And today, that message is available for all who will come to him. That message is available for all who comes to Christ. But look at it in Paul's life. See, he starts off in verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4, he gives the doctrine. He gives the head knowledge. That Christ died for our sins. There, there's some people who might say, yeah, I believe that. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. Okay, I believe that. 
And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I believe that. But has this message changed your life? The gospel is not, the gospel is not do good deeds or, or change your life and then God will save you. The gospel is be saved and God will change your life. We should not get the cart before the horse. The gospel is not a story of how we need to try harder and then if we do enough, God will save us. The message of the gospel is that we have no hope. Our only hope is to throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ because he did the work that we needed. So I would ask you, friends, are you still in your sins? Are you still under your first daddy, Adam? Or have you passed from death to life and are you now under the second Adam, Christ? Jesus brings resurrection power to change our lives. So as I close, I'm going to read Ephesians 2 in just a moment, but I, I want to I talk to, to three, three kind of categories of people. There are all kinds of folks in the room today. It, it occurs to me that at some point in my life, I have been in all three of these categories, okay? The first category is maybe you're, you're sitting here thinking, sure, I believe in God. Sure, I believe in God. And maybe you're, you're convinced that a Christian is someone who, who believes God exists and just generally doesn't have much of a problem with God. That's what a Christian is. Second group, maybe you're here and you're comforting yourself, saying that you're a good person, that you've done enough, that your good outweighs your bad. The third, the third category would be our, our young people, our kids, our students. Some of you are old enough and you're starting to understand the gospel. I want to read this passage of scripture and just apply it to all three groups. It says this in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. In other words, whatever we wanted to do, we did. The desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, perhaps the two most powerful words in the Bible, but God. We were going our own way. We were happy to be doing our own thing. We were headed toward hell. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. To the person in that first category who says, sure, I believe in God. Me and God are good. We go back to that first question we asked at the beginning of the, of the sermon. A Christian is not simply someone who believes God exists. A Christian is not simply someone who votes family values or is on the membership role of a church somewhere or went to vacation Bible school five times in a row or gets the chills when you hear amazing grace. These things don't save they are not the gospel. Salvation comes through seeing yourself as a sinner who is lost without Jesus Christ. 
and laying hold of the free gift of salvation that he offers through Jesus, through his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. He loves you. He wants you. Second group, the good person. I have good news. Jesus came to save the squeaky clean church people too. The Bible says that all of our good deeds are filthy rags. We cannot possibly do enough good works to save ourselves. And I tried for a while. It's tiring, isn't it? It's tiresome to try to be good enough to be accepted by God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the free gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we could save ourselves, we would be the ones who got the glory. But instead, God has offered salvation, and he gets the glory. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Jesus doesn't say, change your life in order to be saved. Jesus says, be saved and I'll change your life. The resurrection shows us what is necessary to be saved. In order to be saved, you have to live a perfect life and then die and then rise from the dead. And since we can't do that, we need somebody else to do it for us. And Jesus has. And he offers that to us. And then to the last group, our kids, students. If you're old enough to understand the gospel, you're starting to, to wrestle with the truth that there's a separation between you and God and, and Jesus, Jesus came to, to make peace again and to, and to close that gap between us and God. I would just encourage you, talk to your parents, talk to your grandparents, talk to... Uh, another adult in your life, about talking to me. I would love to share uh, the gospel with you and to help you understand these things that have changed our lives. Friends, a Christian is someone for whom the resurrection has made a change in our life. And I pray that today that would be true of all of us in here. And I pray that we would go forward from this place with this resurrection power to overcome the old patterns that Jesus has saved us from. He offers it to all of us. And I pray that you have found your rest and your, and your forgiveness in that message. Would you pray with me? And we'll close.